weeks ago, I spoke on revival glory, revival glory, and uh, we talked about the spirit and power of Elijah, which is the spirit and power that John the Baptist operated in, we find out in Scripture. But we also find out in the last verse of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, that God will send the spirit and power of Elijah upon the, the uh, generation of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. In other words, the second coming. God will bring the spirit and power of Elijah upon his people one more time as a prelude to the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? And so when I saw that, I thought, well, we should probably know a little bit about Elijah since we're going to operate in his spirit and power. Hello. And it's interesting to find out that Elijah, because he's such a well-known and such a powerful pro uh, prophet, everything about his life is really wrapped up in two chapters, the, the uh, 17th through the 17th, 18th, and 19th chapter, three chapters of 1 Kings. And so Elijah's story is found through there. And, and when I spoke a few weeks ago, we talked about the Mount Carmel victory of Elijah when he destroyed the prophets of Baal. Remember that story? And so we're going to move a little bit further from there today. The greatest awakening this world has ever seen is coming. And it's coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. I believe this generation is going to produce giant slayers and kingdom shakers who know God's voice and respond like lightning to his whisper. So the title of this message is Revival Glory Part 2, A Whisper in Our Heart. Amen. Malachi 4, 5 and 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So picking it up here at the end of 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah had just slaughtered the prophets of Baal. But then he went up and began to pray. He prayed seven times. He got down on the ground on his knees, put his head between his knees, and asked his servant, go and tell me what you see in the sky. And the servant kept coming back seven times, nothing. The seventh time the servant came back and said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. Elijah popped up. And said, it's a coming, baby. And he went and told Ahab, go eat something and drink something. For there's a drought. Or this drought is over and the rain is going to begin to pour. And it happens quick. When God begins to move, it happens suddenly. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. And this morning, we're going to find out that God's strength is directed towards breaking discouragement in our life. And if you're coming in this morning with any kind of discouragement, this is a place of courage. It's a place of encouragement. And God's going to do a work in our lives this morning because of his great word. So Elijah heard that there was a cloud the size of a man's hand, and the Bible says this, then the hand of verse 46 of chapter 18, then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins, whatever that means, and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He girded up his loins. He tightened his seatbelt. Well, he buckled his seatbelt. 
and he tightened up his belt. 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That scripture in the ESV version says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is the God of mercy and grace. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. And grace is God giving us something we do not deserve. The more revelation of Jesus we receive, the more grace pours over and empowers our life. Don't you love the grace of God? It's not about your good works, in other words. No man can boast. But we come to him just as we are. And he puts the old man aside and we, we die to ourselves in a new creation. We become a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. It's by grace. So 1 Kings, starting with the first verse of chapter 19, says this. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying... So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, she threatened him. And we thought cancel culture was new. The spirit of Jezebel seems to be rising up one last time here in this world. Spirit of the world. Jezebel is referred to in Revelation and is cast down. In the book of Revelation, the Jezebel represents the spirit of the world. It's interesting, it's a female, and, you know, females have the power of sex. And when we look at our culture today, it's, it's so driven by the sexual innuendo, the sexual drive, the sexual confusion. But God likes to cast that spirit down. And God wants us to walk in holiness, and God is holy. And so let's throw that woman down out of her lofty tower just like they did in the first time, the first time she showed up. Let the dogs have at it with her. And just in case you don't know that story, I thought it might be, well, this is like an R-rated story, so plug your ears if you don't like R-rated movies. But I thought it might be a good idea just to, for Jezebel's sake, to remind her of how she was dealt with. And it says this in 2 Kings. God gave Elijah at the end of chapter 19 as like a final, a list of final assignments. One of, one of them was to anoint Jehu as the king of Israel, which he did. And 2 Kings, later on in the story, it says this. Now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. And he looked up, the, up at the window and said, who is on my side? Who? And so two or three eunuchs looked out at him. And so these two or three dudes up in the window, up in this tower with Jezebel, poked their head out when Jehu said, is anybody with me up there? And then he said, throw her down. It's interesting, isn't it? Somebody in the inner sanctum of these kind of things in the kingdom of darkness will actually throw down their leader. For God to destroy. 
So two or three eunuchs looked out and he said, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses. Ugh. And he trampled her underfoot, Jehu did. And when he had gone, he ate and drank. And then he said, go now, see to this accursed woman and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hand. Therefore, they came back and told him, and he said, this is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, on the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field in the plot at Jezreel, so that they shall not say, here lies Jezebel. So I thought that'd be a nice Sunday morning story to share. <laughs> Woo! But our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual authority. It's darkness. And so we're not hesitant to go in strength against those things because God is mighty and powerful in everything he does. And so the scripture says that Ahab told Jezebel about what Elijah had done to all of her prophets. And so she throws out this threat. In verse 3, it says, when Elijah heard that, it says, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And I got to say, there's a big difference between running in the wind of God, which Elijah did when he girded up his loins and ran in the power of God and outran the chariot of Ahab. There's a big difference between running in the wind of God and scrambling in fear for your life. And so here we find Elijah, who just a moment ago was on top of the world, just destroying the works of the enemy and running in the power of God with one little threat. He went from the highs of the highs to the lows of the lows. And, and it's interesting how the... The rest of this story really is, is God encouraging Elijah to stand up and walk in his strength like he had before. And I believe in this generation, we're going to have to find out how to, how to put our emotions in check. We're going to have to find out how to live in strength, how to encourage ourselves. You know, David learned how to encourage himself in the Lord. At Ziklag, when, when not only was all of their stuff, uh, they, were, they were ambushed when they were out uh, fighting the enemy, and the enemy came to their camp and took all of their stuff and all of their families. And not only had that happened to David, but David's own men, the men who served him so faithfully, wanted to stone him. And this is when David went out by himself, and the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. This is powerful. And I believe in this day we need to find out what does it take to be encouraged in the Lord when we're walking in our secret place with God? How do we find the encouragement of God on our own? Because we don't always have somebody around us to pray for us. We don't always have someone to carry us, to pick us up. It's so healthy to be able to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And the first thing we find out about David is that he lifts up his voice. And so Psalms 18 says this, when I was at my weakest, this is a Psalm of David, when I was at my weakest, my enemies attacked, but the Lord held on to me. His love broke open the way, and he brought me into a beautiful, broad place. He rescued me because his delight is in me. 
Think about what David said. This is what he's saying about himself. God rescued me because he delights in me. We need to press into the heart of God for our life. How do you encourage yourself? You have to speak because your words are more powerful than your thoughts. Well, what do you speak? You speak the love of God over your own life. And you may be wondering about the worship that you see happen in this room. Well, we need to lift our voice when we're together too. Because when we lift our voice, the presence of God hits this place. And your voice is powerful. Your words are powerful. Just like Jesus spoke and the worlds were created, you speak and the creation of of your life goes forward. When we speak, we create. And so we speak in the name of Jesus. And when we're discouraged, we make our mouth speak. We don't let our thoughts run wild in our mind and chase our thoughts with our thoughts. We speak to our thoughts. If we're discouraged, we say, in the name of Jesus, he has rescued me because he delights in me. Lord, that's why I love you. That's why I worship you. And so our words begin to encourage our own heart. It's just so important. I don't know that there's ever been a day when when emotions have been so all over the place and when there's been so much weaponry levied against the emotions of human beings. And a lot of this, I think, is related to social media and the fact that every single person, think about it, everybody has something in their hand. It's got a screen on it. And it's speaking to every one of us. And when I drive down the road and I look at children and, and uh, teenagers getting, you know, going to their schools. When I drive by Horizon High School and I see a group of eight or ten students on their way into class or the way out of class, guess what every one of them are doing? Every single one of them are looking at the screen in their hand, totally ignoring one another. Nobody's speaking to each other, just looking at a screen, being told what to think and how to feel about their life. This is not healthy. It's not good for the human soul. What is good for the human soul? Coming together with people. (laughs) Sharing how you feel. Being encouraged by one another. But when we can encourage ourselves in the Lord, there's going to be a strength that rises up. In fact, it's a necessity that we all learn how to encourage ourselves in the Lord because somebody is not always going to be around us to lift us up. But God can lift you up. God can lift you up. And so it's so interesting what happens to Elijah. He's on the top of the world. He's running with the strength of God. He hears one threat from the enemy, and his courage leaves his life. And sometimes, you know, when you have a mountaintop experience, we we can't live on that mountaintop experience perpetually. We come down the mountain, and our emotions sometimes come down, and we have to be aware of our emotions. We have to learn when we need to get alone with the God and get alone with the strength of God and and encourage ourselves in the Lord. And so Elijah was in desperate need of encouragement. Listen to what he said in 1 Kings 9, 4. It says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows in one day. But God understands these things. He knows us. He knows what makes you tick. And he knows what takes away your strength. This generation is facing incredible challenges in their emotions. 
but we learn how to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Listen to what Psalms 18 goes on to say, David writing, God, you have wrapped me in power and made my way perfect. Through you I ascend to the highest peaks to stand strong and secure in you. You've trained me with the weapons of warfare worship. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You empower me for victory with your wraparound presence. Isn't that wonderful? Your most powerful encounters with God and worship will happen when you least feel like lifting your voice, but do so anyway. The times that you least feel like worshiping, but you put yourself by faith in a place to worship and begin to lift your voice are the times when the, the presence of God, God will flood your soul like never before. And you will experience the power of God in your life at a greater level than you ever have before. Worship has a sound. It's not quiet. The Pharisees demanded that Jesus tell his disciples to stop praising him. And he said, if they keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. The Pharisees always wanted quiet. Religion wants it quiet. Religion, religion hates passion and the energy of people who have found out that God is good. Religion wants it quiet and serene. I once walked into, into a church lobby and they had a sign out there. The verse they chose to put on the sign was, be still and know that I am God. I thought, oh, man, that is like, man, everybody's whispering and walking on their tippy toes in the lobby. I thought, man, we need to make some noise in this place. God is great. Whenever he comes in the room, there's a trumpet sound. And it's getting louder and louder on the mountain of God. Religion wants it quiet and serene, no sounds of joy or celebration. But God loves the sound of praise. It's the sound of freedom. There's always a trumpet blast in the house of God, and it gets louder. The devil hates your praise. And that's why we should make sure he hears it loud and clear. So lift your voice with a shout of victory. <laughs> we need to all become great at encouraging ourselves in the Lord. I once had to gird my loins up and run in the wind of God. Ooh, that sounds weird, doesn't it? <laughs> We're up at the cabin. We had a new puppy, six months old. I went out to throw some trash into the dumpster when suddenly I heard screams, which I could tell were my wife, my precious wife, Chrissy, screaming for real. And I heard howling of animals I heard my little puppy screeching for its life. There was a creek behind our cabin. And it was the monsoon season. The creek was like three feet deep, muddy waters. I was at the dumpster about 50 yards away. And there was about 50 yards of river rock the size of watermelons. I was in flip-flops and shorts. And I heard my family being killed. I've never experienced a feeling like that in my life. I've never had the physical threat happen against my family. But something was happening. I had no idea. I thought some a bear. I don't know what was trying to kill my family. So I began, I girded up my loins. I began to sprint across those river rock. 
I, I don't know how it happened, but miraculously, everywhere I put my foot with my flip-flop on had perfect footing. I was running like the wind. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. It was the more I think about it, I say, how did that happen? When I arrived, I saw Chrissy with a tree branch smacking the water of the creek with this tree branch, and I saw my nine-year-old son, Chase, screaming his eyes out, and tears were actually shooting out of his eyes. Ah, screaming. I looked in the muddy water of the creek, and there's Applejack, our little Jack Russell Terrier, popped her little head up, and then got pulled back under the, gra under the water. And I looked at the second time, and then these two furry heads with teeth poked their heads out of the water and were hissing. I thought, what is that, some ray bead beavers? And so I ran into the creek, scooped up Applejack. I was like Elijah. <laughs> Tossed her to Chrissy, who was on the shore. She caught the dog. And these two little furry-headed things poked their head out of the muddy water and were hissing at me. I thought, oh, my gosh. And one of my flip-flops got stuck in the mud. I said, Georgie, watch those things while I get my So I reached down in the water, got him out, and I got out of the water. Turned out these were river otter. Did you know there's river otter in Arizona? They tried to kill my puppy. But God saved her. <laughs> uh, you know, we've been so pampered, we don't ever have any physical challenges in our life. But man, when you find out that there's something coming against your family, something happens in your heart. And something is coming against our family. And something needs to happen in our heart. And we're not living in a day when we had to fight off wild animals as a norm. But I'm telling you this, the kingdom of darkness is like a wild animal that needs to be driven out in Jesus' name by the power of God. And who's going to do it but us? So Elijah ran for his life. And prayed to God that he might die. Not, chapter 19, verse 5. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Isn't it great? God will meet you there. God will meet you in your discouragement. God will meet you in the place where you don't have any strength left, where you feel confused and weak. He comes in like the good father that he is. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to encourage our life. He wants to fill us with his goodness. So it goes on to say, Then Elijah looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. He understands. God understands. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Oreb, the mountain of God, which is another name for Mount Sinai. He went to the same place where Moses went up the mountain to meet with God. God will meet you in your discouragement. He will meet you in the place where you're worn out, discouraged, and weak. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 3, 3, but you, O Lord, David said, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. He's the lifter of our head. There's a supernatural grace in the kingdom for these days. And I think it's interesting that the, that the angel said to Elijah, arise and eat. Arise and eat. Just, it's just simple. Get up. Eat something. Get up. 
eat stuff. There's something about getting up. We just, if you're really discouraged, get up and eat. Get up and eat. God's with you. He knows what's going on. He knows how you feel. We just need to do the basics. Get back to the basics. Get up and eat. Find your place in him. Get up and eat of the goodness of God. Get up and eat of the word of God. Get up and eat of the strength of God. Do it by a choice of your will, not of how you feel. We don't move by sight. We act in faith. So God is, God is good and he's with us. And so then we move forward in the story, 1 Kings 19, 11, verse 11. Then he said, go out. God said to Elijah, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Isn't that interesting? I looked up the word, the meaning for the words not in, but the Lord was not in the wind or not in the earthquake or not in the fire. And it just simply is the word not, but the Lord was not the wind. He was not the earthquake. He was not the fire. And then it said, but after the fire, a still small voice, period, a still small voice. In other words, he is that voice. He is the one speaking. This is what he's after for us. His voice is the epitome of his presence. When we learn to hear his voice, it takes us to the apex of his presence. It's where we find out his heart, how he thinks, what he intends. He gives us direction. It's relational. When, when I was dating Chrissy and we fell in love, oh my goodness, we fell in love. I was head over heels in about 1.5 seconds when I saw Chrissy. And my heart was gone. It was gone. We've been married 35 years. She's as good as she looks. Everything good about our relationship is her. She, she makes me better. She has what I don't have, but what I do need. That's how God created us, you know, in our marriages. Our partner has what we don't have, but what we need. They become the agitation, by the way, when you forget to be grateful. <laughs> That's why it's so important to say thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you gave her that. Because if she wasn't so conscientious, we wouldn't have any friends. <laughs> so God is so good. And we've had a wonderful marriage. But when we dated, we had some trust issues. Some things happened in our relationship together. And we actually broke up for about a year. Both of our hearts broken. We got back together. We had serious trust issues. I remember one day, one evening, it was going to be the end of our relationship forever. I was so filled with rage, jealous rage that I was going to cuss her out. Sorry that you just found out that preachers also can cuss sometimes. <laughs> I was going to cuss her out, call her some names, and tell her I'm never going to talk to you again. 
uh, my mind was so gone on this. And so I began to point my finger at her, and my, I took a breath in as I was about to shout these vicious things at her life, and God whispered in my heart. And he said, be very careful what you say. This is your wife. And I stopped. I just flat out stopped cold. My heart, in a split second of time, went from utter, complete rage to total and complete joy. The whisper of God is so much more powerful than an earthquake or a tornado or a fire. The whisper of God shapes nations, builds kingdoms, creates ministry, heals relationships. The whisper of God is like dynamite in the human soul. We're enamored with the miracle working power of God in the form of mountain moving and the shaking of the earth. But the greater power is in the whisper of God in our heart. And so I never mentioned this to Chrissy. I just, my countenance changed. She didn't know what had just occurred. But my heart was so filled with joy, I just zipped my lips. And we went about our business. And I logged it in my heart. This is my wife. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so happy. I did tell her a few years after we were married what happened. She never likes to hear that story because it, it kind of is hurtful to her. Thank you for letting me share that. I asked her permission. But to me, it's a picture of what we need to understand about the whisper of God's heart into us. His whisper is so powerful. This, this scripture, that, this story we just read about Elijah is one of the greatest self-disclosures of the heart and nature of God to be found in the scriptures. And so here's three things we can learn about God from the first earth, wind, and fire concert. <laughs> I'm sorry for saying that. I can't help but say that. It's just a, I don't know what it is about me. So I was saying, I can't, I don't want to make this sound like an earth, wind, and fire concert. I, 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 can't, I can't say that, but I actually wrote it on the thing. Number one, the wind, the earthquake, and the fire did not make Elijah cover his face, but the still small voice did. Isn't that interesting? It was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. We're fascinated and enamored by God's power, but we are undone by the whisper of his heart. God's whisper in our heart humbles us completely and washes away every shame. As soon as we hear his whisper, it washes over our life. We realize, oh, man, I'm okay. He's still talking to me. He's with me. He's not booting me out. He's good. He loves you. Jesus said, my sheep know me and they hear my voice. We, we, are, we are children of the great God, and he loves to talk to us. And my recommendation to you is ask him questions, not metaphorical ones. Ask him what he wants you to do. Ask him his opinion on something you're looking at. He'll speak. 
I once asked God, I said, Lord, I haven't heard from you for quite a while. It had been months since he had spoken to me. I said, Lord, I haven't heard from you for quite a while. Tell me what's going on. And crickets, nothing. And I forgot about it. I went on my day. And then later that afternoon, driving down the road, here's what the Lord whispered to me. He said, to the extent that you talk to your wife, I'll talk to you. That'll shake you up. There was so much loaded in that statement. He doesn't waste a single word. He not only helped me to see how I should behave with my wife, but he also, by speaking to me, showed me that he's with me and he's been with me all along and he's watching everything I'm doing and he's a part of it. And he's not worried about it. And he's got thoughts on it. He has answers. He'll help. He saved me five years worth of marriage counseling with one statement. Well, we probably ought to interview Christy and see what she thinks of that, but we will, we'll say that for a little. We'll do that next year. His whisper in our heart humbles us completely and washes away every shame. We're immediately brought into his presence and covered by grace when we hear his whisper. He's so good. Number two, the second thing we can, we can see in this, in this earth, wind, and fire concert, God can shake the earth and move mountains to reach us, but his preference is to whisper in our heart. We want the big stuff, but he likes to whisper. He likes to see what we'll do with it. He likes to give an idea and see how we take it and what we, how we run with it. He likes to be partnered with our life. We scramble around doing everything we can to hide things from him. He's just saying, come on, I just want to work with you on this stuff. Let's do this together. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. His, whip, his whisper snaps us out of the mirage of despair and confusion and discouragement that the kingdom of darkness tries to cover our life with. When we hear his whisper, it wakes us up to the kingdom of God that's all around us all the time. His whisper is loaded with power, filled with potential. We need to learn to hear his whisper. We need to learn to walk in his leadership. We need to partner with him. It's interesting, there's a story in Luke chapter 9 about Jesus and his disciples that kind of demonstrates his heart on these things. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, Jesus, in other words, time for him to be crucified, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. The Samaritans were outcasts. They were like uh, kind of half-breed Jewish other nationalities. And so there was this there was a separation between the Samaritans and the, and the Jewish people. As they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But the Samaritans did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them. And said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. 
This is the heart of Jesus. He likes the story of Elijah because of the whisper, not because of the earthquakes, not because of the fire. He likes it because of the intimacy that he reimagined and recreated in Elijah's heart that would ultimately encourage him to move into his final callings and destinies. God is interested in the same thing for us in this generation, that we would walk as children of the king, being led by his whisper, doing his will, walking into divine appointments, walking into the grace of God like we were made to. And that's what we do. And the third thing that we can see in this story is this. His whisper is more effective and precise in its authority to direct our lives than the demonstration of his power needed to free us from the trouble we create by not listening. That's a mouthful. Let me read it one more time. His whisper is more effective and precise in its authority to direct our lives than the demonstration of any kind of power needed to free us from the trouble that we create when we don't listen. If we learn to hear his voice, we can actually avoid tornadoes, earthquakes, and fires. He wants us to respond to his whisper so that he doesn't have to shout. This is our God. He loves us. He loves us intimately. He's with you. One word from God can set the captive free. This is why I believe, worship nation, if you'd please come. This is why I believe the scripture tells us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy because one word from God can set a captive free. The whisper of God when it comes to ministering to people around our life is just that. It's a whisper. It's a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. It's the moving of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit in our life. When we respond and obey, when we move like lightning to the whisper of his heart, then we'll see miracles happen every time. It's way more powerful than God shaking a mountain into the sea. It's way more powerful than, than an earthquake or a fire. When we respond to his whisper, we respond to his word. When we respond to the gift of God in us, when we, when we act in the gift of prophecy and we speak over people's lives, we see their life changed and delivered and set free in the power of God. Aren't you grateful to God for his hand on your life? I've shared this story before, but I remember as a young man, the first time I experienced this very thing was on an airplane. I was maybe 25, had my beach shorts, my flip-flops on again, a T-shirt. God put me on a plane next to a distinguished elderly gentleman. He had silver hair, a tailored suit. I noticed he was reading a book by Edgar Cayce. It's a new age spiritualist. As soon as I saw that book, I, by the way, had brought a book to read and I was hoping just to be by myself spent some time alone reading and I looked to my the pastor to my left and he was reading that book and I realized oh man shoot God has put me in a divine appointment and I wanted some time on my own but you know what come on now who cares we it's so beautiful to be used by God in somebody's life nothing compares to it and so I just put my book down and started striking up a conversation, talking about the weather with this guy. Man, he looked, 
so successful. I thought, how in the world would I ever minister to a I'm just a college kid, you know. How am I going to say anything to this guy? And as he began, this guy was talking back, you know, small talk. I couldn't hear a word he was saying because the Lord dropped one word in my heart, and the word was guilty. I thought, guilty? I'm going to tell him he's guilty? And, and so when God gives you a word for someone, it will burn in you. If it's from God, it doesn't go away. It gets hotter and hotter. The only answer is to say it. And so I knew I had to say it. I, can't, he, I saw his lips moving. He was making sense. I had no idea what he was saying. All I was thinking was guilty. <laughs> and so finally I just worked up enough courage and I said, you're guilty. And I thought he was going to maybe slap me. I don't know what. As soon as I said that word, his face flushed and tears began to pour down his cheeks. Can you believe that? In an airplane, we've never met each other. One word. And I saw a man who was very distinguished melt because of one word. And then he said this. He said to me, you know, I made a deal with God when I was a young man about your age. I said, if you cause my business to succeed, I will, I will follow you with my life. He blessed my business, but I never followed him. And then he said this. He goes, you know, you remind me of my son. He's one of those born-again Christians. <laughs> We're talking about, man, that's so much more powerful than an earthquake. You know what I'm saying? That's like, this is the power of God. Just one word, one word. And it sounded like a word of judgment, but it actually was a word of freedom. You're guilty, and it caused him to see his whole life. And he reevaluated, right next to me, he reevaluated his whole life in one second because of one word spoken. When I saw that happen, I realized, gosh, I, I have to respond to these things. If, if I, I mean, it's so important. God can shape people when we respond. Isn't it wonderful to be a part of people's lives and God's journey to help them? And that's what we're here for. And so my, my hope today is that, that you get encouraged. If you are discouraged, that you get encouraged by God in this place today. And then secondly, my hope is that we all step into the greatness of God for our life and begin to just move and operate. I mean, we're talking about revival. This is what brings revival. Who's going to bring it? We are. God in us. We're going to bring revival. How do we do it? By how we treat people. By, by moving in the things that God tells us to do. By obeying. It's a wonderful thing. Lord, thank you. Let's stand to our feet together. Thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray that each life would be encouraged. That you would have your way in us. We lift our hands to you in this place. There's no one like you. Thank you, first of all, Lord, that you've covered our life. That you've forgiven us. That You've washed us clean, Lord, by the blood of Jesus. Lord, we dedicate ourselves to you. If you would just say in your own words how, how you want to serve him, how you want to be used by him, how you want to hear his voice, how you'll follow. Lord, I pray that every heart is open to your word, Lord, that there's a new level of freedom and our antennas are up, Lord, for your kingdom. So we thank you for it. Thank you for it. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Yes, thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, come alive. In the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles.
Just pray for any prayer requests that might come up. We're going to ask our prayer team to come forward. I just want to give you an opportunity. If you're in this place today and you've never given your life to Jesus, today is your day. Come on, today is your day. He loves you. He's given everything for you. He gave his life. He shed his blood. His body was brutalized for us. It's just as simple as saying to Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior. I give you my heart. He'll come in. If you confess with your mouth that, that uh, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the day, you shall be saved, the scripture says. So if you're that person today that wants to give Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed, just slip your hand in the air. Let me see you. And we're gonna pray a prayer, a simple prayer together this morning. If you want to give your heart to Jesus, yes, thank you, Lord. Everybody just pray this simple prayer after me. Say, Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I repent, and I turn my heart to you from this day forward. I will walk with you and follow you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Hey, the altars are open for you. If you just gave your life to Jesus, come on down, let us know. If you want to see, receive prayer for anything in your life, if you need a miracle in your body, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, come on down. We have some great prayer warriors, and we'd love to pray for you. Come back today, 1 o'clock, for our family Sunday picnic. We love you. Thank you for being a part of CFTN. Amen. I still believe your moon. I still believe your spirit.